morning. So, it's happened a few times before, I think I've shared with you guys, that um, every now and then I'm kind of called upon by the Lord to teach something that I don't yet understand. Today's one of those mornings, and um, it's... It's from um, going back to last time we gathered, last Sabbath. Um, I kind of had a feeling this was coming and uh, sort of resisted it this week and had planned to just come together and worship and do communion again as the, for the culmination of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But Surely when I got up this morning, it was like, nope, you need, to, you need to teach what I'm teaching you. That's been my commitment from the beginning, and the Lord reminded me of that. And so I went downstairs, and I feel like all this <coughs> understanding, partial understanding is in my mind and beginning to kind of fit together, but it's certainly not all there yet. So I was struggling to begin to kind of capture it. And then Diane woke up and came downstairs and prayed for me. Uh, and like a light switch, it just came out. And, um, and it is still partial and it is still uh, incomplete, but it's what I'm supposed to share this morning. And it's not long. And no doubt it will have uh, many more layers of understanding added to it. One of the cool things about what the Lord is showing me is, is how um, I really believe he's showing it to many in this congregation. And part of the revelation coming to me has come from different people in this congregation. I really believe the Spirit speaking um, a unified message and um, each of us are getting it in parts and as it comes together and hopefully today it will come together a little more we are sanctified so i praise god for that i praise god for a congregation that's hearing from the lord and obedient to what they're hearing it's a wonderful thing to have an ear the Holy Spirit so I'm gonna pray for the right words to come out because it needs to be beyond me it has to be beyond me because I'm not capable so let's pray Father, I just give you thanks and praise for this set-apart time, this two-fold set-apart time, for the Sabbath and the culmination of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we are gathered. 
and I give you thanks and praise for the work of your spirit in each of the saints in this room, for your voice in their ear, for your word written on their heart. I thank you for unity and oneness and togetherness and the love. I thank you for lives being lived together. I thank you for sanctification. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God that you give to each of us. I'm grateful for that wisdom and revelation being shared amongst the congregation. I'm thankful for new understanding this morning. And I pray, Father, that you would just use this mouth to speak your truth with clarity and with conviction. May it bring understanding unto application and obedience. And we pray for great fruit to come. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, one of the, sort of the beginning of this revelation for me was was, was really understanding that the, the more we understand and the more revelation we have and the more experience that we have walking out the holy days, um, the, the truth that we gain and the understanding that we gain and the depth of revelation that we gain is never about the holy days themselves. It's always only about the larger redemptive story that the holy days all point towards. And, um, and I think you only really come to that revelation sort of down the road a little bit. Uh, at least this has been the experience in, in our um, home. The, um, the larger redemptive story which is which is the the mystery of the ages right it's the it's the the meta narrative of scripture but more importantly it's the it's the plan of father god who is reconciling all things back to himself through christ who is walking out this creation wide agenda to make all things new and to see it all restored back to his original intent culminating with the resurrection of the dead of the saints and the new heaven and new earth that larger redemptive story and the and the incredible mystery that it is and the impossible beautiful complicated plan that it is it's a really really big deal it's the it's it's what all of the holy days point towards and the holy days are just one of the gifts that he gives us to help us grasp the mystery and understand the mystery and and even take hold of and partake in the mystery and each of the critical events that either have already happened or have yet to happen 
within that plan. So, so the Lord's been reminding me this year as we work our way through another Passover and unleavened bread, he's reminding me that to kind of look back at how each year has progressed and how because we are just aligning with God's calendar and sticking with the prescriptions in it, um, we have once again gained a layer, a layer of understanding and revelation and taken hold better one more time of two major, major elements within the larger redemptive story that Passover and Unleavened Bread reveal. And the basic understanding that as we have learned more it's never been for the purpose of understanding the holy days better. It's always for the purpose of understanding the gospel better. It's never for the purpose of walking out the prescriptions more accurately or more perfectly or more biblically. It's always to help us understand the mystery and teach the mystery to our kids and take hold of the mystery in our own hearts and in our own lives and in actual experience. It's, a, it's just such an amazing, they are just such an amazing gift. And I think back over, you know, Passover last year, which was a unique one in so many ways. And, and really I'd say for the Sass family, like the last three spring Moedim times Passover and unleavened bread have sort of been the focus. And, and the, um, the retelling of those stories every year and the, and the digging into the text and the details of the text at this time each year has not helped the Sass family have a better Passover feast. It's always only helped the Sass family better understand Christ as the true unblemished lamb and the absolute need for the blood to be applied for salvation from an imminent death. Does that make sense? As we, as we read the details and we see that that feast is to be eaten in haste with our sandals on and belt on and, and that no leftovers can be saved and that the bread must be unleavened. We read those details and we don't have a better feast because of it. Having the feast and reading the details and just sticking with the prescription, it all points to Christ. It all helps us better understand the gospel. And the transition of the Passover feast into the Feast of Unleavened Bread, as we spend that next morning ridding our home, uh, ridding our, our home of leaven and re-walking through the Exodus story and, and what was going on the morning after, it, it reminds us 
once again of the urgency once you are marked by the blood to leave Egypt behind and to leave sin behind and so we spend a week being reminded of that story and retelling that story and, and sticking with the prescription of no, no, eating no leaven and none of that is because God's giving us understanding on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He's giving us greater revelation of the gospel. He's giving us greater understanding of this manifold wisdom of God, the mystery of ages, the larger redemptive story, the ministry of reconciliation. The days all point to that. And the fruit of our obedience, the fruit of obedience, the obedience of walking in the prescription of recognizing and honoring these appointed times, what he gives us is not better understanding of the times, it's better understanding of the, of the big story. So, So I say all that, I guess, um, to give testimony to the reality that it works. It works to keep the holy days. It works to retell the stories at these specific times. It works to reread the text during these feasts it works to reteach them to our kids and none of the fruit is better understanding of the days or the times or the feasts it all opens our eyes to the gospel they're gifts to do that given by the father according to his perfect wisdom and I can easily testify that in the Sass family it works in particular over years over the years and the you know the Bible calls the traditions of men the Bible calls it aimless conduct And I'm here to testify that the ways of God and the prescriptions of God are literally the exact opposite. They are perfect, pointed gifts to continue to bring his own closer to him. Better understanding of his will better understanding of his plan, better understanding of the gospel, better participation in the gospel, better handles and experiences and sanctifying moments within the gospel. So be encouraged. I, I recognize that Obedience to God's ways, in particular in times like this, can be a struggle. I recognize that, that it can be hard seeing that 
a huge population of the church is going to celebrate Easter tomorrow. Right? It's, it's, it, can, it can actually be, it can lead to this internal turmoil and even anxiety to see all of these people doing these things tomorrow to, to recognize the resurrection when, when we've essentially already seen and recognized the resurrection. But it's just weird. It's weird to see the church on a different page in a lot of ways. And it can be troubling, it can cause anxiety, it can cause struggle, it can cause doubt. And, and I'm just here to testify, it's worth it. It's worth growing through those things, especially over the years, for those that are doing this you know, for the first time or close to the first time. Traditions of man are, are aimless conduct. They do not point to or accomplish anything. God's ways and God's holy days in particular will absolutely help you and your kids understand the gospel and take, take, take part in it and, and have handles for it and constantly have the revelation go deeper and deeper and deeper. And the fruit will be worth it. So that's my encouragement. Stay the course. better revelation of the gospel is worth the price that we are paying, the cost that laying aside those aimless traditions, there's a little cost there. I understand that. I recognize that. But it's worth it. Amen? It's worth it. The fruit is worth it. The fruit will be worth it. So, so, like I said, I feel like the last three years, Passover and Unleavened Bread, have been where the Lord has been discipling us and giving us greater revelation and giving us greater understanding. Um, this year, the, um, the new learning came regarding first fruits. And it was... Um, it was a question originally about um, when should we recognize first fruits, which to me was just such a beautiful question and such a, a worshipful question. And to see it again, the congregation seek that truth by going back to the word, absolutely beautiful. I loved every aspect of it. And it caused me to do the same, to, to wanna recognize or want to or want to stick with what's written regarding how do we honor the resurrection and so as I got back into the text as I, as I got back into the to the details um, God just gave me a deeper level of understanding and it wasn't specifically about what day to recognize first fruits although although that truth came with absolute clarity as well. Um, it is always the first, first day following Passover. Whenever, however many days past Passover, that may or may not be, doesn't matter. Christ became first fruits on the first day of the week, and that specifically means something. So we honored on the first day of the week. That's a different point. That's not the point that I'm making. That was just an added clarity that the Lord gave, but the, but the more specific revelation came, and this is why I started how I started, 
every one of the holy days gives us better understanding of the gospel, right? They are never for themselves, in and of themselves, in a vacuum. The understanding is always for the larger thing they point towards. So we know that first fruits, the feast of first fruits, points towards Christ's resurrection. So to understand first fruits as a feast day, all it's ever going to do is help us better understand the resurrection of the actual first fruits, right? So that was sort of the foundation, all right? To get this right is not specifically about what day we're going to do it on. It's, it's going to be bigger than that. And the bigger thing that the Lord just opened my eyes to, and it's, and it's silly because it is right there and it is right in front of me. And I've had even teachings I know uh, on Christ as the first fruits, but it was just like, it was just like an eye open that, that any honoring of the resurrection that we are going to do that will ultimately accomplish what honoring the resurrection is meant to accomplish, it's got to be seen within the context of Christ as first fruits. No other context. Because that's what's written, and that's what's prescribed, and the prescription is perfect for what it's meant to do. So why would we honor first fruits? Be because it's going to help us better understand Christ's resurrection every time. It's not about legalism. It's not about being perfect. It's not about any of that. It's about a gift given to the saints by Father God, according to his wisdom, to help get our feeble minds around what happened when he walked out of that tomb. Okay? And if we hear nothing else, right, this is the revelation at its most simple. If you hear nothing else, hear this, saints, that when Christ came out of the tomb, he came out as first fruits on the first day because something new was beginning. Okay? So the fact that he is called first fruits means that he is only the first, right? And when you recognize the resurrection in Easter, you always almost entirely see him as a singular, as his resurrection as a singular thing. And that misunderstanding will lead to all kinds of wrong thoughts about how he raised and why he raised and, and what it ultimately meant. He was raised as first fruits because he was not going to be the only resurrection. He was just the first. Everyone following me? That's a huge deal to get, guys. No honoring of Christ's resurrection outside of uh, an understanding that he was just the first fruits is going to be correct. You follow me? It's got it. We got to understand. God wrote it down perfectly. He prescribed it perfectly. Its timing is perfect for what it's meant to accomplish and how it's meant to encourage the saints for exactly what's going on this week. All right, so let's, let's read a couple texts here first. Um, Corinthians 1, 15 through 18. I'm sorry, Colossians. Uh, Andrew, can you get that one for us? And Susie, would you mind finding Revelation chapter 1, verse 5? And Diane, Romans 8, 28 through 30. 
Dan, I'll find the First Corinthians passage. So, um, so we're going to allow these texts to confirm for us that Christ is first fruits. All right, Christ is first fruits. Christ is first fruits. Christ is first fruits. This is the, the, the key to the whole understanding, the key to the whole revelation. To want to recognize and honor and respond to the resurrection correctly, we've got to see that Christ is first fruits. Okay, so let's let the text confirm that. First one is Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Okay, has he read anything about first fruits yet? He has not. Christ being the first, the first first that he mentioned in there was not a reference to first fruits. That part has not come yet. Let's reread this and listen to me, guys. When Andrew um, reads the, the beginning of this passage and it mentions Christ as the first, that is not the first fruits part. I just don't want any confusion there. Go ahead, Andrew. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. Okay, so the first first is the reality that Christ was before all things. There is a second first that's getting ready to be read. Go ahead. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things he may have the advantage. Okay. Firstborn from the dead means specifically that he is the first to be resurrected. Okay. The uniqueness of the resurrection of Christ was not that he was resurrected. He's the first of many who will be resurrected. The uniqueness of the resurrection of Christ is when it happened. In the middle of history versus the end of history. This is a big deal. Okay, next, next text. Revelation 5.1, Susie. Firstborn from the dead. Every time it says firstborn of the dead, we got to immediately think he was not the only one to be resurrected. He was just the first. And if we begin to think correctly about that, we will begin to understand his resurrection in the middle of history is significant for a specific reason. When is everyone else going to be resurrected? At the end of the age. Right, moving into the age to come, at the resurrection of the dead, spoken about throughout the entire Bible. Right, whenever Christ is mentioned as the firstborn from among the dead, we should automatically think, oh yeah, we're all going to be raised, but Christ went first, and he went in the middle of history. What does that mean? Why didn't he just come back from the dead when all the rest of us are? Why did he have to go first? Why did he do it in the middle of history? All right, keep, keep working with me. Keep tracking with me. Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that all things 
those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he, whom he called, these also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. So Christ is raised, resurrected as the, as the Adam of new creation so that what? Many brethren could come. Many others could come. Somehow Christ as the first fruits made a way for many others to come. To come where? Resurrected into the age to come. Right? The whole 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians speaks about this. I'm going to read um, 15 through 20. I'm sorry. 20 through 23, yes. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Every time we hear first fruits, what do we think? He's just the first. The first what? To come back from the dead. Oh, that's not a totally unique thing to Christ and Christ alone? Absolutely not. He's just the first. What's unique to Christ's resurrection? It happened in the middle of history, not at the end of history. Are you guys getting this? Why? Why does it matter that it happened in the middle of history and not at the end? Why do we recognize it every year? Recognize what? Easter? No. First fruits. What does first fruits teach us? Christ went first. The first of many. Does it inspire us? Absolutely. Do we celebrate it? Heck yeah. Is it the center and heart of our hope? Absolutely. But we got to see it within the correct context. And the context is first fruits of a harvest. That is the teaching. That is the prescription. That is the truth. When does the rest of the harvest come? At the end of the age. Read all of 1 Corinthians 15, by the way, with this. Lens on, it'll blow your mind. Yeah, it already blows your mind. Okay, so here's what I'm saying and then I'm done. Think about how perfect the timing is. How absolutely perfect this timing is. Because when does first fruits take place? Always. During what time? Spring, yes. During unleavened bread. Every time. It will always take place during unleavened bread. What is unleavened bread? What is the purpose of the feast of unleavened bread? Removing the sin for our life. It's a week every year where the body of Christ is intended to examine their lives, listen for the Spirit of God to tell them what in their life is no longer for them? Where there is sin, where there is idolatry, where there is deception, where there is captivity and bondage and slavery and oppression. Every year, 
the Spirit of God will reveal those things to us during this week. Right? And what's our part to play? We get rid of them. We get rid of those things. It is the probably the anointed and appointed week for the most sanctification to happen in the life of a believer every year. Right? If we engage it correctly and honestly and with the courage and conviction that this week is intended, it should be the most sanctifying week perhaps of the year for each of us. Right? So, so during the week when we are being encouraged and I would say challenged to see sin and idolatry and, and captivity f- broken off of us, what, what do we recognize during that week every year? First fruits. It's always going to fall during that week. Okay, so, so the fact that Christ was raised in the middle of history makes something available to us that could only be available because of what he accomplished. Right? And, and the New Testament writers reveal it. The language they use is a resurrected life. Okay, so let's read a couple of texts about that. Romans 6, 3 through 8. Michael, you want to find that one? Uh, Nick, how about Colossians 2, 12 and 13? And Kelly Sass, Galatians 2, 20. What? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Who's got the Romans passage? Michael, 1 through 11. Let me pray for us because this, this is the whole point. Father, I just pray for your spirit to enlighten our minds. I ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God right now for the saints of NCC to better understand resurrected life. We pray and ask for you to do a work in each of us right now to open our eyes and give us understanding in Jesus' name. All right, Romans 6, 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Okay, so this immediately starts off with ridding our our life of sin. Right, the focus is on sin. Do we keep sinning so grace can abound? Like we all know the verse, but listen to the whole context of of the teaching. Go ahead, Michael. By the way, that could only happen if he died in the middle of history. You can only be baptized into Christ because he died in the middle of history. If he died at the end of history, not possible. Had to be in the middle of history. And if you died with Christ, go ahead, Michael. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, 
Amen. Praise God. So his resurrection in the middle of history somehow becomes available to us. You see why this is so far beyond our minds? Somehow his resurrection in the middle of history becomes available to us. So this period of time from his resurrection to the actual resurrection of the dead, something new is available. Why? Because the first fruits went before and something new has begun. That's why it was the first day of the week. And something new is now available. That's why we recognize it on the first of the week. Somehow, some way, we get to participate and partake in his resurrection. And it creates what? A newness of life. During what week? The week we're supposed to leave our old life. Every year. It's so perfect. Go ahead, Michael. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Amen. Give us ears to hear, Lord. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Hallelujah. It's all about leaving Egypt behind, living the resurrected life because the first fruits have already gone before us. Hallelujah. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Amen. That's a, that's a belief about the age to come life and a belief about the resurrected life here and now. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lived, You see how recognition of first fruits on the week that we are to be leaving and ridding and pruning sin from our life is such a perfect um, celebration. The celebration is so perfect. It's possible. What's possible? Everything the Spirit is convicting us of this week, showing us of this week, giving us eyes to see this week about what from our life needs to be pruned, first fruits basically says it's possible. What's possible? An entirely new way to live. Why? Because one was raised in the middle of history, and somehow, some way, we get to participate in that resurrection if we are baptized and marked by the blood and belong to him and are clothed in him and seated in him, and his blood courses through our veins. Susie, there's a reason the Spirit had you in John 6. So I praise God for the Spirit's voice being loud and heard in the monk home over the last couple weeks. Absolutely impossible, undeniable fruit. So you need to 
when the, when the Spirit has you on a text like that, keep doing what you did. You've got to keep bringing it up. You've got to keep showing it, showing it to us because it was all the same message. This was in John 6 when Jesus was being rejected by his own because he's saying, you've got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. You can't. He's trying to show us the resurrected life. So the Spirit was speaking to both of you regarding this message. It, ha it had to come all the way through multiple vessels in this congregation. But it's the same message. It's the same focus. It's the same direction. For this year, for this congregation to recognize and understand first fruits like never before. Colossians 2, 12 and 13. And the last one, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith to the Son of God, who lived and loved me and gave himself for me. So the reality of recognizing Christ's resurrection as first fruits during the Feast of Unleavened Bread could not be more perfect. Because of what the Feast of Unleavened Bread is intended to do, right? It would be pretty disheartening for the saints of God to have a week every year where we are to examine and be made aware of the sin in our life and then have no way out of it. Yeah. Have no honest and realistic opportunity to see it actually pruned and see it actually removed. What gives us the encouragement that it actually can be removed and can be cut loose and can be freed from it? Because a dead man came back to life in the middle of history. And if that isn't proof enough, but wait, there's more. You guys remember that guy? But wait, there's more. It's not just that we can be encouraged by the resurrection. We get to participate in it. Somehow, some way, his blood is in my veins. Somehow, some way, I am in him. So this resurrection life is possible. No. Ephesians 1, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive in me. What? It's not just encouragement. It's not just a celebration. It's not about candy. And baskets and bunnies. <laughs> no. It is about seeing the saints sanctified and taking hold of the resurrected life. Because everything points to the gospel. The real plan. The real mystery. The real wisdom of God. Not the aimless traditions of man. Not aimless conduct and nonsense. The most real thing you can have. Freedom from sin. Because the power of the Pharaoh was broken by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. 
So if you find yourself fortunate enough to live between Christ's resurrection and the resurrection of the dead, have no doubt, saints, we can participate in a new way of living. You know what it kind of sounds like to me? We get to partake in a divine nature. Hallelujah. And not only is the divine nature available to us, and not only is the resurrected life available to us, but 50 days from Passover, we are going to be given a power from on high. And a power to do what? Specifically walk this out. And what do we look forward to ever from the, from the end of the Feast of Unleavened Bread? What do we look forward to next? Pentecost. Hallelujah. It's all perfect. One accord in one place. Yes. Amen. That's it's going to come one more time. At least one more time. Praise God for the perfection of his ways. So we're going to celebrate communion one more time. Recognizing Christ as first fruits. Another layer of understanding. Praise God for it. So um, it's been my experience that when, when God orders a feast for seven days, it's because he works in all seven days. And this feast doesn't culminate until sundown tonight. So recognize that there could be more for you. And um, communion is always a time for reflection and, and examination. So if God has more to be revealed, maybe it's going to come now. Have our eyes and ears open for it. Whenever you're ready, partake of some unleavened bread thank you again Lace and uh, Kirby's going to lead us in some worship uh, during this so engage it as an act of worship also <coughs> okay <coughs>